You ever felt you're being watched sometimes? Have you ever had a cold shiver run down your spine? Sometimes we go through that. Sometimes we look for answers to questions we don't really truly understand. Like, are we truly alone in the universe? Is there life after death? This world is weird. It gets weirder by the day. And in that weird are questions that we have as curious beings known as humans. Tonight, we look into some of those questions and get a little weird. Cause we all are just a tad bit weird. Tonight on Weekend Weird. All right. Hey, Ogul. Hello. Hey, welcome to Weekend Weird, a show about the weird of my day. It's on this universe. I'm your host, uh, producer, Mr. Everything, Red Nick, and I'm enjoying with me today remotely from a someplace uh, far away. <laughs> it's on, our on, goal. Undisclosed location. Yes. <laughs> this is weird, man. Yeah, it is. It is. You know what else is weird? This pandemic. Yeah. That's one way to describe it. I mean, yeah, it's just like so many things just feel weird Mm -hmm. i mean you can do an entire episode on just the pandemic it is called weekend weird after all right well yeah i think next month i think we must do do this whole thing hour damn that's a great idea Or, (laughs) or maybe just like wait until the vaccines are out and things are somewhat relatively normal so you can make it like look back or do a two-part series. Yeah, like during it, like we do it like at the end of the year and sum up with everything that went off at the end of the year. Then when the vaccine comes in and things are back to normal, maybe not just you, but like maybe Meredith and get a Mariah and yeah. my brother, get a bunch of people on how this has really affected us. Because, uh, yeah, it's been, this has been horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's it, uh, it's trash, is what it is. Yeah, this this is mega trash. This is beyond trash. This is trash to the unteeth power. This is and like it <sighs> just it keeps um, fluctuating between you know okay to just bad and worse. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, you know, we don't have to get into it too much, but it's just like the pandemic, the economy. Mm-hmm. The election, yes. Trump's refusal to uh, concede still, yes, yes, which is you know horrible in a, it's itself, but it's great that he's gone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, but yeah, you know, we can dedicate a whole episode to this, but it it's not that I'm not worried about the election getting overturned or him mm. winning any of these challenges. It's right. just the fact that he is challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, he's in his legal right to do so. I completely understand that. But right. like, 
it highlights two things. One, the institutions that we thought were sort of, you know, bedrocks of American democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is just built on like an honor system. Um, there is, there, there has, not in the re- modern times, there has never been a what do we do in case scenario, yeah. you know? Right, right. And then the second disheartening thing is just the Republicans, for political reasons, refuse to come out and, like, decisively say, hey, we lost the presidency. Right. Yeah. I mean, some are saying it. A couple are saying it out loud, but not enough are saying it out loud. Uh, Excuse me. Uh, It's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. It it needs to be a hell of a lot more than what are saying things right now, um, because it's it's one. It's pointing out, like you said, the frailty and the issues that we have with our current system right now. And two, it's embarrassing. This is this is embarrassing. You're a grown ass man. You're a seventy year old man who can't accept defeat. Yeah, like uh, I heard a senator saying, "Like, what? What's the worst that can happen if we stroke his ego?" It's like, I don't know. We're sort of a laughing stock to the rest of the world, and and on top of that, like, you know, America is all about fucking regime change and democracy spreading, right? Right. Which right. we knew was built on a bunch of lies, and anyways. But now, what footing do? I don't know. What footing do we have to go out there and say you need to observe the you know the outcome of your elections? You can't be a dictator, and they're going to be like, "Well, look, look what the fuck happened to you in 2020," you know? Right. Anyways, anyways, that's not what we yes. want to talk about. But yes, it yes, is what it is. <laughs> but it, it is still important, and, and uh, a lot has happened since uh, last uh, last episode of the show on. Uh, the 30th of, of last month and still a lot to go on uh this coming month uh but um yeah our us getting together uh, we're doing the true crime case um we're doing the case of finally getting to the black dahlia murder uh the murder of elizabeth short back in uh january of 1947 um so Ogul, what things have you basic information that you have about the murder of uh, Elizabeth Short in Los Angeles, California? The two pieces of media that I have pertaining to this, one is like directly about it and the other one is indirectly about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the one is the movie The Black Dahlia with right. Josh Hartnett, I want to say. Yeah, Josh Hartnett and Aaron Eckhart and Scarlett Johansson. I think he came out in 06. Yeah, by Brian De Palma. Yeah. I remember liking that movie a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And then the second is a, a very near and dear um, video game to you and me both is yes. uh, <laughs> L.A. Noir, which is sort of, from what I understand, is like a historical fiction inspired by the Black Dahlia murders. Yeah. Um, it, it inspired, one of the things inspired was the Black Dahlia murders. Uh, also, um, um, the known corruption of the Los Angeles Police Department, which was an ongoing theme in true crime when you're dealing with true crime in Los Angeles, California, dealing with the police. Uh, yeah, so it, it is a, a historical fiction 
it's based on it. It's the game. If you don't remember the game, it's a small portion of it deals with a black Dahlia, but you don't investigate that case. You investigate cases, uh, all around Los Angeles, California, but some of them seem to be linked to the black Dahlia, uh, murder case, uh, in a fictional, fictional world. So in, in, um, in a fictional sense, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, the actual case, uh, of the murder of Elizabeth short, who was known post humorously as a black Dahlia, uh, was, she was found murdered in the Merritt park neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. Her case has become highly publicized due to the graphic nature of the crime, which included her corpse having been mutilated and bisected at the waist. Uh, Elizabeth Short was a native of Boston. Uh, she spent most of her early life in Medford, Massachusetts, and Florida before relocating to California, where her father lived. Uh, Elizabeth Short was born in July of 1924. Uh, she was 22 at the time that she had uh, died. Um, she acquired the nickname the Black Dahlia posthumously after the owner of a drugstore in Long Beach, California, told reporters that male customers had that name for her. And as newspapers of the period often nicknamed particularly lurid crimes in that period, the term may have originated for the film noir murder mystery, The Blue Dahlia, was released in April 1946. After discovery of her body on January 15, 1947, the Los Angeles Police Department began an extensive investigation that produced over 150 suspects, but yielded zero arrests. Jesus. 150 suspects? Yes, 150 suspects. Wow, okay. That's, None of them were arrested. That's a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like they were basically just taking any tips. What were they just taking? They were going, yeah, they were going by every lead they could possibly find. I mean, a young girl turns up in the condition that she had turned it up in, a, in an undeveloped neighborhood. Now the neighborhood is developed and where her body was found is uh, the front lawn of a house. Nice uh, uh, but back in 1947, it was an undeveloped uh, area of uh, Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles. So there's a lot of suspects that were being named, uh, a lot of books, uh, video, video games, movies, television shows uh, on this very famous unsolved murder. So... Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it definitely is one of those murders that transcends um, just a regular crime. And, and albeit, I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that it happened, one, in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. two, it's still unsolved, um, right. and three, it was kind of a gruesome murder. Yeah, it really was gruesome. So. Yeah, we're going to get into it here on Weekend Weird. So you ready, on Let's do it. All right, let's get to early uh, Elizabeth Short's early life. Uh, like I mentioned before, she was born July of 1924, uh, July 29th to be exact, in the Hyde Park, Hyde Park section of Boston, Massachusetts. She was the third of five dollar daughters of Cleo and Phoebe May Short. Around 1927, the Short family relocated to Portland, Maine, before settling in in Medford, Massachusetts, a suburb of Boston in that same year. 
Uh, there, Short was raised and spent most of her life. Short's father built miniature golf courses until the 1929 stock market crash, when he lost most of his savings and his family became broke. In 1930, her father's car was found abandoned on the Charleston Bridge, and it was assumed he committed suicide by jumping into the Charles River. While leaving her father to be deceased, Short's mother moved with her five daughters into a small apartment in Medford and worked as a bookkeeper to support them. Okay. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth was troubled by bronchitis and severe asthma attacks. She underwent lung surgery at the age 15 as the doctor suggested she relocate to milder climate during the winter months to prevent further respiratory problems. Short's mother then spent the, sent her to spend winters in Miami, Florida with family friends. During the next three years, Shorts lived in Florida during the winter months and spent the rest of the year in Medford with his mother and sisters. In her sophomore year, uh, Elizabeth dropped out of Medford High School. In late 1942, Short's mother received a letter of apology from her presumed deceased husband, which revealed the fact he was in revealed the fact he was alive and started a new life in California. So the guy faked his No death. way. So he, yeah, wow. To get it, to get away from everything. Um, in December of eight, at age of 18, Short relocated to Vahelio, California, to live with her father, whom she had not seen since she was six years old. At the time, he was working at the nearby Marine Alley Naval Shipyards in San Francisco Bay, uh, but it didn't really work out because arguments between her and her father led to her moving out in January 1943. Shortly after that, she took a job at exchange base at Camp Cook, now the uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base near Lumpuk, living with several friends and briefly with an Army Air Force sergeant who reportedly abused her. What was that? Okay. Sorry, my, my phone Short. just was. Sorry, it's after Sorry. Yeah, I'll, sorry. I'll <laughs> Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, Short left Laponic in mid-1943, moved to Santa Barbara, where she was arrested in September 23rd, 1943, for underage jerking at a local bar. The juvenile authorities sent her back to Medford, but she returned instead to Florida, making only occasional visits to Massachusetts. <laughs> While in Florida, Short had met Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr., a decorated Army Air Force officer with the 2nd Air Commando Group. He was training for deployment to the China Burma India Theater in operations of operations World War II. Short told friends that Gordon had written to propose marriage while he was recovering from injuries of a plane crash in India. She accepted his Arthur offer, but Gordon died in the second crash on August tenth, nineteen forty five, less than a week before the surrender of Japan that ended the war. She yeah. She relocated to Los Angeles in July 1946 to visit Army Air Force Lieutenant Gordon, Joseph Gordon Flickering, who she had known from Florida. Uh, Short spent the last six months of her life in Southern California, mostly in the Los Angeles area before her death. She'd been working as a waitress. She rented a room behind the Florence Garden Nightclub or Hollywood Boulevard. Short had been previously described and depicted as expiring or would-be actress. According to some sources, she did, in fact, have aspirations to be a film star while she had no known acting jobs or credits. Okay. 
Yeah. So, so she has did a, she move? So did she move out to California to chase acting? Is that the story? No, she moved out to California to stay with her father, and also because she was having respiratory issues, so she had to be into a drier, warmer climate. Okay. So, and I guess later on, being in California, getting a little starstruck, you want to start getting aspirations to be a famous. Sure, actor. I mean, from you know her picture, she's somewhat attractive female. She's in her twenties. She's in California. Mm-hmm. You know, it only makes sense. Right. Yeah. Right. So, right before her murder, on January 9, 1947, Short returned to her home in Los Angeles after a brief trip to San Diego with Robert Red Manley, a 25-year-old married salesman she had been dating. Manley stated they dropped Short off at the Bit- Bitmore Hotel located at 506 South Grand Avenue in downtown Los Angeles, and that Short was to meet her sister, who was visiting from Boston that afternoon. By some accounts, staff had a bit more recalled having seen Short and using the lobby telephone. Shortly after, she was allegedly seen by patrons of the Crown Grill Cocktail Lounge on South Olive Street, which is a fourth of a mile away from the Bitmore Hotel. So that was the last time anyone had seen her. Okay. On the uh, the knife. Now here comes uh, on the morning on January 15th, 1947, Short's naked body was found severed into two pieces on a vacant lot on the west side of South Norton Avenue, midway between Coliseum Street and West 39th Street in Limerick Park, Los Angeles. At the time, the neighborhood had been largely undeveloped. Like I'd said before, local resident Betty Bismeister, I'm screwing up that name, discovered the body at approximately 10 a.m. while walking with her three-year-old daughter. Betty initially thought she had found a discarded store mannequin. When she realized it was a corpse, she rushed to a nearby house and telephoned oh, police. Can you imagine approaching this thing, thinking it's a mannequin? <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, short, severely muted, mutilated body was completely severed at the waist and drained of blood, leaving her skin a placid white. Medical examiners determined she had been dead for around ten hours prior to discovery, leaving her time of death somewhere between the evening of January fourteenth or the early morning hours of January fifteenth. The body had apparently been washed by the killer. Short's face had been slashed from the corners of her mouth to the ear, creating an effect known as the Glasgow smile. If you're familiar, familiar with the Glasgow smile, excuse me, uh, the Dark Knight, the Joker, is a prime example of a Glasgow smile. God, that's terrifying. Glasgow? Mm-hmm. Why, yes. Originated from there? I don't. Know. I'm not googling uh, I, the term. <laughs> no, no. Um, what's what's the real life person? Um, what's the guy's name? Is an actor, a uh, character actor, that has the uh, glass. Oh, Tommy. Is Fleming. it like a birth defect? No, it, he got into a fight, a bar fight, and someone slashed his 
mouth corner of his mouth to almost his ear. Oh no, shit! I know this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in uh, Braveheart. Um, he was Cicero in Gladiator. Oh, he's from Glasgow. Uh, Is that why it's called Glasgow Smile? Um, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they named it specifically for him, but yeah. Interesting. I definitely know this guy. He's like a character actor. Yeah, it's the practice started in uh, Glasgow in the 20s and 30s. So it predates him. Okay. Yeah, about to start. She had several cuts on her thigh and breast where entire portions of flesh had been sliced away. The lower half of the body was positioned a foot away from the upper. And her testicles had been tucked neatly between beneath her buttocks. The cords had been posed with her hands over her head, her elbows bent at the right angles, and her legs spread apart. Upon discovery, a crowd of passerbys reports began to gather. The Los Angeles Herald Express reporter A.G. Underwood was among the first to arrive at the scene and took several photos of the corpse and crime scenes. Near the body, detectives located a heel print on the ground and and tire tracks, and a cement sack containing watery blood was also found nearby. So they begin to do the autopsy, take the body away, begin to do the autopsy. Um, it w- was performed on January 16th uh, by Frederick Newbar, the Los Angeles County coroner. Newbar's autopsy report stated that Short was five foot five inches tall and weighed 115 pounds, and light blue eyes, brown hair brown hair, and badly decaying teeth. There was a ligmic star on her ankles, wrist, and neck, and an irregular laceration of superficial tissue loss on her right breast. Newbar had noticed superficial lacerations on the right forearm, left upper arm, and lower left side of the chest. The body had been completely cut in half by a technique talk in the 1930s called Hypercoreography. I believe. Okay, I'm what, that right. that, what does that mean? Hypercoreography is a radical surgery in which the body below the waist is amputated. So they am- So her body was amputated, but you said her legs were still there, so the body was just cut in two. They just yeah yeah they slice. Whoever did this slice the body in half underneath her waist. Okay, but left. Okay, Jesus. Yeah, this is a sick individual. This, this. Let's see. The lower half of her body had been removed by transecting the lumbar spine between the second and third lumbar vertebrae, thus severing the intestines at the duratum. Duratum is the first section of the small intestines and most high vertebrates, including mammals. In humans, the duratum is a hollow jointed tube about 25 to 38 centimeters, 10 to 15 inches long, connecting the stomach to the gyrodum. <laughs> oh, God. <sighs> the worst game of Doctor ever. Yes, this is the worst game of operation ever. 
Yeah. <laughs> Newbar reported very little bruising among the incision lines, suggesting it had been performed after death. Another gaping laceration measuring 4.25 inches in length ran logic, longitudinally along the ubranius to the spar, spar pubic region. The lacerations on each side of the face was extended from the corners of the lips and measured at 3 inches on the right side of the face and 2.5 inches on the left. The skull was not fractured, but there was bruising noted on the front and right side of the scalp with a small amount of bleeding in the uh, subarachnoid space on the right side consisting with blows to the head. The cause of death turbids to be hemorrhaging from the lacerations to her face and shock from blows to the head and face. Newbar noted that Short's anal cavity was dilated at 44 millimeters, 1.75 inches, suggesting that she may have been raped. Samples were taken for the body testing for the presence of sperm, but the results came back negative. So she was beaten to death, but they don't know. Somebody, yeah, somebody hit her in the head real bad. Yeah, but they don't know. Just I mean, because that's basic. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, your thoughts? Um, so far? Just, yeah, gruesome, man. Just terrible, terrible, terrible. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously, we don't know if she was awake or alive during. Any other gruesome, gruesome part? No, they said he was already dead by the time he did the so really gruesome. Just somebody stuff. who liked to play with a dead body? Is that what, what's going on here? Pretty much someone who has medical, I'm assuming, and a lot of people who assume has medical experience that knows, knows how to do this stuff or like butchering experience yeah. doing this. But it's sur- this stuff seems surgical. So it just it's seems too clean, yeah. Yeah, it's just absolutely too clean. Uh, prior to the autopsy, police had quickly been able to identify the victim as short after sending copies of a fingerprints to Washington, D.C. Via, via sound, photo, and primitive fax machine in the area and prints matched those given by short during their 1943 arrest. Immediately following Short's identification, reporters from William Randolph Hearst's Los Angeles Examiner contacted her mother, Phoebe Short, in Boston and told her her daughter had won a beauty contest. It was only after prying as much personal information as they could that Phoebe, from Phoebe that the reporters revealed her daughter, in fact, had been murdered. Right. <laughs> The newspaper offered to pay her airfare and accommodations to travel to Los Angeles to help with the police investigation. That was yet another ploy since the newspapers kept her away from police and other reporters who protected Scoop. The Examiner and another Hearst newspaper, the Los Angeles Heard Express, later sensationalized the case with one article from the Examiner describing the black tailor suit short was last seen wearing as a tight shirt and sheer blouse. The media nicknamed her as the Black Dahlia and described her as an adventurous who prowled Hollywood Boulevard. Additional newspaper reports, just the one published on the Los Angeles Times on January 17th, described the murder as a sex fiend slaying. Why was she called the Black Dahlia? 
Pretty much because there was this um nineteen uh forty six movie, okay. the Blue Dahlia. Um and she was last seen wearing all black. Okay. And what does Dahlia mean? Is that just the name of a female name? Uh, I think it's just yeah, okay. I think it's just a name. I don't think it has a special meaning. I could be wrong, but Okay, got it. Oh, yeah, let me look. Let me look curious, at it. Oh, one second. Yeah. Uh, just, I think it's a. F- no, it's not a flower. No, you know you might be right. It might be a flower. Yeah, I think it's. It is a yeah, it's a flower. Yes, it's a flower. Yeah, it's a flower. <laughs> Ain't it it's like a poisonous flower? What What's like kind of Yeah, it's a poisonous flower. Native to Mexico and Central America. Maybe it grows in, in Los yeah. Angeles. Like native native we get in Los Angeles. Oh. Uh-huh. You know ah, okay. Yeah. But mainly they got the name off of the, the movie. Uh because it was average the the day before no the day that they ran the story in one of the newspapers there was an advertisement on on one of the pages for I the movie see. The okay. Blue Dahlia. Okay, got it. so yeah so let's get into the initial cool. investigation a little bit on January 21st 1947 a person claiming to be Short's killer placed a phone call to the office of James Richardson the editor of the examiner congratulate Richardson on the newspaper cover to the case and stated he planned on eventually turning himself in, but not before allowing police to pursue him further. Additionally, the caller told Richardson to expect some souvenirs of Beth Short in the mail. On January 24th, a suspicious manila envelope was discovered by a United States postal worker. The envelope had been addressed to the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles newspapers with the individual words that had been cut and pasted from newspaper clippings. Additionally, a large message on the face of the envelope read, Here is Dahlia's belongings. Letter to follow. The envelope contains short birth certificate, business cards, Photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen embroidered on the cover. The package had been carefully cleaned with gasoline, similar to Short's body, which led to police to suspect the package had been sent directly by her killer. Despite the effort to clean the package, several partial fingerprints were lifted from the envelope and sent to the Federal Bureau of Investigation for testing. However, the prints were completely compromised in transit and thus could not be properly analyzed. The same day, the package was received by the examiner. A handbag and a black suede shoe was were reported to have been seen on top of a garbage can in an alley a short distance from Norton Avenue, two miles from where Short's body had been discovered. The idols were recovered by police, but they had been wiped clean with gasoline, destroying any fingerprints. On March 14th, an apparent suicide note scrawled in pencil on a bit of paper were found tucked in a shoe in a pile of men's clothing by the ocean's edge at the foot of Breeze Avenue in Venice. 
The note read, to who it may concern, I have waited for police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killings, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I can help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. The pile of clothes was first seen by Beach Caretaker, reported discovery to John Dillon, lifeguard captain. Dillon immediately notified Captain L.E. Christensen of the West Los Angeles Police Station. The clothes included a coat and trousers of blue heavenborn tweed, a brown and white wide shirt, white jockey shorts, tan socks, and a tan masculine leisure shoes about size 8. The clothes gave no clue to the identity of the owner. Police quickly deemed Mark Hansen, the owner of the address book found in the pocket, packet, excuse me, a suspect. Hansen was a wealthy local nightclub and theater owner and an acquaintance who, at whose home Short had stayed with friends. And according to some sources, also confirmed that the persons who discovered in alley were in fact Shorts. And Toth, Short's friend and roommate, told investigators that Short had recently rejected sexual advances for Hansen and suggested it was a possible cause for him to kill her. However, he was cleared by, of suspicion in the case. In addition to Hansen, the Los Angeles Police Department interviewed over 150 men in the ensuing weeks whom they believed to be potential suspects. Manley, who had been one of the last people to see Short alive, remember the first guy that dro- picked her up and, from, mm-hmm. and drove her to Los Angeles? was also investigated, but was clear of suspicion after passing numerous polygram examinations. Police also interviewed several persons found listed in Hanson's address book, including Martin Lewis, who had been acquaintance of Shorts. Lewis was able to provide an alibi for the date of Shorts' murder as he was in Portland, Oregon, visiting his father-in-law, who was dying of kidney failure. A total of 750 investigators from the Los Angeles Police Department and other departments worked on the case during its initial stages, including 400 sheriff's deputies and 250 California State Patrol officers. Various locations were searched for potential evidence, including storm drains throughout Los Angeles, abandoned structures, and various sites along the Los Angeles River, but searches yielded no evidence. City Councilman Lloyd G. Davis posted a $10,000 reward for information leading police to Short's killer. After announcing the award, various persons came forward with confessions, most of which the police dismissed as false. Some of the false confessors were charged with destruction of justice. Okay. So after that, on the 26th, another letter was received by the examiner. It was a handwritten letter, which read, here it is, turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. Had my fun at police, Black Dahlia Avenger. The letter was also named a location in which the supposed killer would turn himself in. The police waited at the location on the morning of the 29th of January, but the alleged killer did not appear. Instead, at 1 p.m., the examiner offices received another cut-and-pasted letter, which read, have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. Okay. So they started, the police kept uh, questioning more um, potential witnesses and other uh, potential uh, suspects. Um Pretty much, uh, the media continues to 
sensationalize Elizabeth Short's life, her personal life, including uh, details of her declining uh, Hans's romantic advances. Additionally, a stripper who was acquaintance of Short told police that she liked to get guys worked up over her, but oh, leave them okay. dry. So, a bit of a hard to yeah. get play, played hard to get with men. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, which led some reporters and detectives to look into the possibility that Short was a lesbian. And between questioning employees and patrons of gay bars in Los Angeles. This claim, however, was unsubstantiated. On February 1st, the Los Angeles Daily News reported a case that run into a stone wall with no leads to pursue. The examiner continued to run stories on the murder investigations, which were front page news for 35 days, uh, despite the 39 days after discovery of the body. Um. Even in mid-February uh, 1947, the LAPD served a warrant to the University of Southern California Medical School, which is located near the site where Schwartz's body had been discovered, requested a complete list of program students. The university agreed so long as the student's identity remained pi- private. Background checks were concluded, which we had no results. In the spring of 1947, Schwartz's murder had become a cold case with few new leads. Um... One of the uh, detectives, Sergeant Phineas Brown, blamed the press for compromising the investigation throughout reporters' probing of details and unnerving reporting. In September 1949, a grand jury was convened to discuss inaccuracies in the Los Angeles Police Department's homicide unit based on failures to solve numerous murders, including those of women and children in the past several years, and Short's murder being one of them. In the aftermath of the grand jury, a further investigation was done in Short's past with detectives tracing movements between Massachusetts, California, and Florida, and also interviewed people who knew her in Texas and New Orleans. However, the interviews yielded no useful information to the public. the LAPD was sued for not doing a competent enough job in, um, in several murders prior to this murder. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of unsolved murders that were going on in um, Los Angeles uh, before, during, and after. Is that just uh, incompetence or corruption? Then we're both, yeah. Both. Both. Yeah. Um, so, grand jury investigation. I think the FBI did an investigation. They've done numerous investigations of the Los Angeles Police Department, even uh, current day. But, yeah, it, it's this thing turned into yeah, a cold case okay. really quick. So, with that out of the way, let's look at the suspects. Now, the number one name that keeps coming up over and over and over again is George Hill Hodel Jr. He was an American physician and the number one suspect Suspect in the the Bundy murders. Suspect, he was an early suspect 
by the Los Angeles Police Department, but they ruled him out. But he's people investigating this case now in current day say that he is the number one suspect and that that charge has been let by a uh, former a retired Los Angeles homicide detective, Steve Holdell. I see that who's yeah. his son. Who has come out and he was said he's been investigating this for the well, I mean the story is from twenty sixteen, but the past fifteen years prior to that. So while his son was still or while his father was still alive, he was investigating no, right after he passed away. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Explain, explain who this guy is. Yeah. Um. Yeah, George Hodel. He's also been accused of raping his own daughter, Tamir Hodel, but was acquitted at that time. George Hodel was born in 1907 and raised in Los Angeles, California. Uh, he was the only child. Um. Uh, and very highly intelligent. He scored uh, 186 on an early IQ test. He was also a musical prodigy playing solo piano concerts in Los Angeles, uh, Shrine Auditorium. Like uh, composer Sergei Richmanoff traveled to his parents' house to hear Hodel play the piano. He graduated from Berkeley uh, in pre-med in 1932 and immediately afterwards enrolled in medical school at the University of California, San Francisco, uh, receiving his medical degree in 1936. Um, after successful medical practice, he becoming the head of the county's social hygiene bureau, uh, Hodel moved to an affluent Los Angeles neighborhood in the 1940s and surrounded himself um, and affluent Los Angeles society. He was enamored with the darker side of surrealism and decadence surrounding that art scene, befriending photographer May Ran, uh, Man Ray, excuse me, uh, film director John Houston, very famous film director. Um, and with Ray and some other uh, surrealists, he showed an interest in sadomasochism and the dark side of art and philosophy with young men in the Hollywood scene and share fondness for partying and drinking and womanizing. Hodel purchased a Soden house in 1945 and lived there from 1945 to 1950. It was a structure built by Lloyd Wright, the son of noted American architect Flank Lloyd Wright. And is now a registered... Hold on, rewind that one more time. The son of Frank Lloyd Wright? What is... Yeah, the son, he, did, he built a house that Hodel okay, stayed in from okay. 1945 to 1950. Um, he was also a polygamist. Okay. Uh, around the time of the death of Short, Hodel was living with Dorado and her three kids, including Stephen, who will later make the case that his father was a murderer. Uh, Hodel left the United States in March 1954, Hawaii, then a U.S. territory, and married an upper-class uh, Filipino woman, having another four kids. Uh, but they divorced in the 1960s. He was later a member of the Philippine Congress. Oh, she was a letter. Uh, his his former wife, Philippine wife, was later a member of, of, uh, the of the Philippine Congress. How was involved with the Philippine Congress? Congress. <laughs> I was like, what? He joined the Philippine Congress. Anybody, Congress? don't they? What the hell? <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> Get your shit together. Hodel <laughs> uh, returned to the United States in 1990. He married a fourth time uh, and resided in San Francisco. Uh, he died in 1999, 81. Um, why is he a suspect? That's the main question. Where well, Hodel's first came under suspicion for the murder in 1945, following the death of his secretary, Ruth Spalding, by a okay. drug overdose. He was suspected of having murdered her in order to cover up his financial fraud, such as billing patients for tests that were never performed. And to protect valuable speak- secrets he attained about police and politicians from patients uh, ob- obtaining illegal abortions. About this time, Hodel briefly left for China, where he worked for the United Nations Relief and Rehabilitation Administration, uh, but these weren't known until 2004. Uh, after Elizabeth Short's body was found, uh, Short had suffered gruesome mutilation. They, they pretty much, the, the case, let's see, what's investigation? Uh, they interviewed Hodel during this case. Various aspects of this case strongly, uh, suggest a strong connection to surrealism, including the works of Man Ray in particular. Hmm. So, I guess there was a story that one of the paintings that Man Ray had painted kind of resembled how they okay. found Elizabeth Short. And this painting was in one of Hodel's okay. offices. And um, the, the, he was a really strong suspect. He was such a, such a strong suspect that the LAPD had bugged his office. How long were they homes. following him for? They were following him for, I think, about a couple of months. Like, they have, like, the DA recorded him saying in one conversation he was having with a, someone at his home. Mm. And I quote, this is, his, this is his words exactly. Suppose I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought she there was something fishy. Anyway, now they fi- may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. Okay, so he's okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, they they bugged his private residence. Residents at his office. They did it from February 15th to okay. March 27, 1950. And some of the transcripts revealed that references to him performing illegal abortions, giving payouts to law enforcement agencies, and his possible involvement in the death of the Secretary of Short. And not only that, supposedly raping his daughter. In late 1949, Hodel's teenage daughter, Tamir, accused him of sexual sexual abuse and impregnated her, after which she was given a back-alley abortion. He was acquitted after a widely publicized trial. There had been been three witnesses present during and who participated in sex acts. Two testified at trial, and a third recanted her earlier testimony and refused to come forward, the theory being that Hodel had threatened her into silence. The trial also calls Tamir to look like a liar who fabricated the abuse and accusations. 
Okay. He's also accused. Let's see. His well, his son accuses him of being the Black Dahlia murder, and also, um, a couple other murders. He also suspects his father of being the Chicago lipstick murder in the late 1940s, the Malaya's jigsaw oh, so murder in 1967. Yeah, and a lot of serial killer. And he's also accusing his All father right, of being the Zodiac killer. I mean, the thing is... That's the problem I have with Hodel. Like, there's a lot of things that match up with Hodel being this killer. But there's some things that, like, his son is accusing of, and it just gets ridiculous. It makes me want to just swipe that away. Just I guess go, the question no, is no, how it's, it's not Hodel. similar are the Zodiac murders to this murder? So why does he have this? Not at murder? all. Well, because suppose because Hodel did spend the rest of his life in San Francisco. But the time at the Zodiac murders were going on, he was in Malaysia, Ma- uh, Ma- in Manila in the Philippines. Excuse me, not Malaysia. Manila in the Philippines during okay. that time. The lipstick killer, I'm not too I'm not too familiar with the lipstick killer, but it is a case that we'll get to on a future episode. But that's a different MO than Black Dahlia. Mm-hmm. And his son, Steve, has produced two additional books on the Black Dahlia case and several books on the Zodiac killer. So it's not just him that accu- – it's not just the son that's accusing him, though. Apparently, other family members also say that they thought maybe he might have – Yeah, there are other family members uh, that are accusing him of this. Actually, there's something – in July – uh, 2018, Sandy Nichols in Indianapolis, Indiana, while going through a recently deceased mother's personal effects, discovered a dying decoration letter written by her grandfather, W. Glenn Martin, some 70 years before on October 26, 1949. The handwritten envelope read, in case of M- Margaret Ellen's or Glenda Jean's death, and was initialed WGM, the never, WGM, excuse me, the letter was f- written out of fear that one or both of his teenage daughters might be killed. The three-page letter identified W. Glenn Martin as a paid Los Angeles Police Department informant working for Sergeant McLally of internal of the LAPD Internal Affairs. He described his activities as working undercover for the LAPD detectives to help them identify and arrest corrupt police officers. In his words, it was to try and see if other officers could be unveiled into crime. The Martin letter reproduced in full in the chapter afterward in a Black Dahlia Avenger 3 book went on to name G. H on 17 separate occasions, identifying him as a personal acquaintance of Martin's as well as Macaulay's, and named him as the killer of both Elizabeth Short and a second lone woman, Louise Spangler. 
the green twig murderer, murder victim. Martin's letter claims that both he and G.H. personally knew Springer, Springer and that he believed G.H. had also killed her. The LAPD at the time was actively investigating Springer and the Black Dahlia murders and had publicly identified them as probably connected. Springer was the world strangled and on June 13, 1949, just two blocks from where Short's body was found in 1946. Included in the letter was the fact that the Los Angeles Police Department had been informed that G.H. knew victim Springer throughout G.H. and brought G.H. in to be grilled about Springer's murder. The Martin letter made it clear that G.H. had known, was known and protected by law enforcement agents and that they let him go. Martin instructions were that his letter was to be opened only in case of harm coming to either of his daughters. No harm came to either of them, so the letter remained unopened and in the family's possession for 70 years until discovered and read by Martin's granddaughter. And he's implying that G.H. is George Hodel. So apparently, the reason why he got away with it because George Hodel had so much information about corruption in the Los Angeles Police Department, namely doing illegal abortions to their uh, girlfriends, um, mistresses, women that they suppose some police officers raped. And if they, he got nailed for the Black Dahlia murder or, I guess, this uh, Springer, Springer murder, he was going to spill the beats. And um, the story of him, his of his daughter, there was a miniseries that came out in 2000, well, I think last year on TNT uh, called I Am the Night. They also deals with Black It was a two-part series on TNT. A little bit, too. Yeah, I didn't see it, but I, I yeah, read how two parts it, and it was like night. one part was about Hodel, right? And then the other part was just about the murder, right? I believe so, Hodel. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, George Hodel's friend, um, uh, Fred Sexton was a suspect in the murder. Um, he was the creator of the Maltese Falcon statue prop on the 1941 okay, Warner Brothers movie, The Maltese Falcon. Bugsy Siegel was also a suspect, considered the famous gangster. Woody Guffridge, the folk singer. That's comical. Orson Welles was considered a suspect. Uh, uh, suspect Jack Anderson Wilson and also the uh, Schwartz ex-boyfriends and uh, um, acquaintances were considered to be the last person the last person alive uh, that that brought like I said earlier that brought Short from San Diego to back to Holy California was was one of the top suspects but he was later cleared of that um, so Hodel's considered the major suspect. Another 
uh, your thoughts. I'm sorry, Ogul. Going no, on I'm just I'm I'm reading I'm reading through and sort of listening to what you're saying. Um, there's a lot tying him to the murder. I mean, he seems to be the most likely suspect. I just yeah. what is the motive? Like, what is his motive? What would it be motive for it? He's he, no, but I mean, he, like, he, he's a sick, depraved did, human being. Is the assertion <laughs> that he's like started with the black with the black dahlia? And then just went on to become a serial killer, or was she just another victim? You know what I'm saying? Like, if if what his son is saying is true, that he's this horrible uh, serial killer that's been going around, and also he was accused of killing uh, a couple of women in the Philippines, even though that really wasn't uh, tied to him because they were done in a uh, time that he wasn't there. That he's just a sick, depraved okay, yeah. serial killer. That that's that's that, 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 like you try to look for a motive in someone who's a serial killer, you're not going to get a damn motive. Yeah, I just, mean, I want to kill. Um, I'm just wondering also, like, why did the um, like, what main reason did the police have to sort of not pursue down um, him as a suspect? To, to not because to, him, they, they did some initial pursue. investigation, right? And he he supposedly uh, was very in deep with a lot of cops and knew a lot of information. I mean, the Los Angeles Police Department uh, is still to this day one of the most corrupt police departments in all of the world. Back then, they were even worse. I mean, how many stories have we started? The couple of stories that we've already previously done on this, um, the Scientology episode is one of them, and uh, I don't have my list of how many stories we've done. But when the Los Angeles police, especially back from the forties and fifties, especially then, yeah, mm-hmm. So, you know, he's got, he's in it. He, he's his high. Powerful, a lot of money, upper class, with a lot of connections. He goes down, the whole thing falls apart. Because he knows, he, he has information, he knows a lot. So they look into him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about it, honestly. Um, the son seems to believe that he's, that it's true. Uh, the family seems to believe that he could be a suspect. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's just. But who knows what sort of got shoved right. under the under the rug because it was connected to the LAPD. So, right, right, and um, they just some of the things his son is, is uh, asserting is just ridiculous. I mean, I I literally point to, I think it is Hodel, but. You know, his son is saying he's also the Zodiac killer. He's also the lipstick killer. He's also uh, this killer. And it's like, no, man, just, just come on. This is just, your dad's a bad person, but I don't think he's all this. It's not the again with serial killing and unsolved murder. Is this is not the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> right, Universe? Right, right. Everything is not. You let your imagination go a little wild, and then. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're blaming him for all types of murders. I mean, maybe the timeline matches up, but 
you know. Right. Um, another theory, let's point out there, another suspect. Uh, several crime officers came forward, uh, as well as uh, Cleveland, Ohio detective Peter Mayo, that suspect there is a link between Elizabeth Short's murder and a previous case that we've covered on this oh, show, the okay. Cleveland Torso murder, which took place in uh, Cleveland in 19, between 1934 and 1938. If you're unfamiliar with the Cleveland Torso murder, Go back after this episode is done. We did an episode on the Cleveland Torso murder. You can listen to that episode and also this information in books. Um, um, information in books on the Cleveland Torso murders. But but to sum up the Cleveland Torso murders is that the series of um, murders that happened in the Skid Row of Cleveland. Um, the Skip Row part of Cleveland, um, Kingsbury Hill, part of Cleveland, where uh, homeless people, working class people, were being murdered, and uh, they were only found to have uh, their torsos. There was only they, they they were beheaded. Most of them were beheaded, or and had other body parts had uh, been taken off, and. They're supposed like not only that this detective and other true crime officers suspect there is a uh, link between the Black Dahlia murder and Cleveland Torso murder. Um, Unsolved Mysteries had brought that to an attention in 1992. One of the yeah, one of the main investigators on the case of the Cleveland Torso. I do remember. Yes, I do. You remember was Elliot Ness. Yeah, Elliot Ness. Treasury Department agent came to Chicago during Prohibition uh, to try to help clean, to uh, bring down Al Capone and his syndicate. Um, told through Elliot Ness's book, the television show The Untouchables, he had a group called The Untouchables, which became popular in fictional uh, circles on television in the movies. In the movie in 1987 with Kevin Costner. Um, after that prohibition was rescinded and uh, Capone was taken down, he became um, Cleveland, I believe, safety inspector. Uh, again, go back to the episode on the Cleveland Torso murder. And he was one of the lead investigators of the Cle- of uh, those murders. And supposedly some true crime artists and, and other figures had said that Elliot Ness figured out who was the Cleveland Torso murder. Um, and that he that 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 the person who committed murders ended going over to Los Angeles. That's why he couldn't uh, he couldn't get an arrest, and that this person was in a high end family um, that protected him. And supposedly, from some true crime novelist, um, they said that uh, this person also Ooh, killed uh, Elizabeth Short in nineteen forty seven. Oh God! Okay, sorry. Yeah, the yeah, Black yeah, okay. Dahlia. I was like, I was getting all. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the fuck are you been doing? <laughs> um, let's see. Um, in 1980, new evidence 
implicating a former torso murder suspect, Jack Anderson Wilson, a.k.a. Arnold Smith, was investigated by Detective uh, Detective St. John in relation to Short's murder. He, he claimed he was close to arresting Wilson for Short's murder, but that Wilson died in a fire on February 4th, nineteen. Okay, gotcha. And Ness's biographer, Oliver Fraley, suggests that Ness knew the identity of the killer, like I said, responsible for both cases. There's, I have a huge problem? problem with this theory. Huge problem. First of all, they are not similar. These are not similar. Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, was, yes, she, she was uh, dissected. She was split in half. Um... Her, her intestines were found behind her. She was drained of blood. Just like the Cleveland Torso murders, lots of the victims that they found were drained of blood. But a lot of victims, they didn't find her damn head. There's a reason why they call the Cleveland Torso murders, because they only found the torso. None of these victims, those who they happened, the very few uh, victims, they happened to find their head were months later, and none of them look how they were torn up like Elizabeth Short. Also, the Cleveland Torso murders were were committed between 1934 and 1938. Right. Elizabeth Short was murdered in 1947. This person had spent nine years not doing anything, supposedly. Or doing murders where they were just so low key and so underground that no one knew about it. That was that didn't spring up a, a, a possible. Uh, oh my God, this is like Cleveland over again. So none of that had happened. I mean, it's happened before the BTK killer. That that yeah that is he went underground for a couple, for years and then started killing again but that's a rare case serial killers or they, or they, they keep doing suicide. it until they're caught or they're killed yeah or commit suicide caught killed or commit suicide well dead caught or dead uh, no it doesn't and the suspect and the suspect that we had figured, me and you had said that this is probably the top suspect um, in the Cleveland Torso murder, a Dr. Francis Sweeney, whose brother was a congressman from that area of Cleveland, was a congressman from Cleveland, who we had said that, oh, this is the top suspect, was already in uh, a hospital. She was not in Los Angeles. Now, mind you, it could have been someone else, but still, different MO, different arrangement of killing, and they go dormant for nine years and pop up? No. And George Hodell, to answer the question, George Hodell, we has no information to say he was in Cleveland during 1938, uh, 1934, 1938. He was in yeah, Mexico. Yeah, so the, the alibi definitely checks out. Yeah, for Hodell. Mm, for mm -hmm. Hodell. And, and, and Dr. Sweeney. Doesn't mean it was someone else, but still, different MO. Right, yeah, they're not, they're not connected. Different way of killing. 
they're not connected at all. They're very, very little uh, similar. Very. As opposed to surgical dissection. Yeah, I mean, that's from just reading his biography. Like, he was not a good person. (laughs) You know? Um, Uh But as far as not only the Black Uh Dahlia murder, but just him being a serial killer, I don't know, the jury's sort of out on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's no connection to the Cleveland Torso murder and uh, this murder. So, but if you want to know more again about the Cleveland Torso murder, go back to our previous <laughs> episode. Uh, it's called the Cleveland Torso Murders, <laughs> and uh, you get the whole story and all the crimes that was listed down there. Um, also, the there's another theory that the uh, Black Dahlia murder was also connected to the murder of Jeanine French that happened in February 1947. Um, the media and detectives uh, believe that, and some detectives believe that the short murder was connected. Uh, French's body was discovered in West Los Angeles on Grandview Boulevard, nude and badly beaten. Written on her stomach in lipstick was what appeared to say, fuck you, BD. And the letters text below. The Herald Express covered the story heavily and drew comparisons to the short murder less than a month less than a month prior, summarizing initials BD stand for Black Dahlia. But according to historian John Lewis, however, the scrolling actually read P D not B D. Which stands for Police Department. Okay. Not B D. No. Also, another theory going out there, uh, several true crime authors, including Steve Hodell and William uh, Rasmussen, have suggested a link between short the short murder and a 1946 murder dismemberment of six-year-old Suzanne Deegan in Chicago, Illinois. Captain Donahoe of the Los Angeles Police Department publicly stated he believed the Black Dahlia and the Chicago lipstick murders were likely connected. Among the evidence cited is the fact that Short's body was found on Norton Avenue, three blocks west of Deegan Boulevard, Deegan being the last name of the girl from Chicago. There was also striking similarities between the handwriting and the Deegan ransom note and that of the Black Dahlia Avenger. Both texts used a combination of capitals and small letters. The Deegan note read in part, burn this for her safety, which different letters capitalized and different letters uh, put in small letters. And both notes contain a similar misshapen letter P and have one word that matches exactly. Convicted serial killer Richard Herons served life in prison for Deegan's murder, initially arrested at 17 for breaking a residence close to that of Deegan. Herons claimed he was tortured by police, forced to confess, and made a scapegoat for the murder. After being taken to the, from the medical infirmary at the Dixon Correctional Center on February 26, 2012, for health problems, Deegan's died in the University of Illinois Medical Center on March 5th, 2012, at the age of 83. I don't know that much about the Chicago lipstick murders at all. I've heard of it, but I don't know exactly 
about that case. Um, I do have some information on the lipstick killer, which they're saying is Deegan's. They said he committed three murders, and all they had the words words graffiti found written in lipstick. Now, as of calls for Deegan's, on January 7, 1946, 6-year-old Suzanne uh, Deggins, I'm pronouncing it wrong, was discovered missing from a first-floor bedroom in Edgewater neighborhood, Chicago. Police found a letter outside the girl's window and a ransom note. Joe, $20,000 ready, misspelled ready, waiting for the word, do not notify FBI police, bills of fives and tens, burn <laughs> this for safety. And misspelled safety. <laughs> A man repeatedly called the Deegan's residence demanding the ransom, but hung up before any meaningful conversation take place. The mayor of Chicago at the time, Edward Kelly, received a note. This is to tell you how sorry I am not to get old Deegan instead of his girl. Roosevelt and the OPA made their own laws. Why should I? Excuse me. And a lot more. Question mark. At the time, there was a nationwide meatpacker strike in the Office of Price, of Price Administration, OPA, when were talking to extend rationing of dairy products. Deegan, the, the, the father, was a senior OPA executive recently transferred to Chicago. Another executive of OPA recently assigned armed guards have received threats against his children in Chicago. A man involved in black market meat had recently been murdered by decapitation. Police considered the possibility Deegan Killer was a meat packer. Yeah. Did um, you mention um, huh. did you mention is it I mean do you have anything else to say about the the lipstick murder? Um I don't know that much about the lipstick killer. Um uh, we'll get into it. We'll, that's a that's a story that we'll get into in a future episode. Um from what I can see there's some similarities, but again, you're blaming Odell. <laughs> and Odell is not Thanos. <laughs> Did you mention um have we mentioned the uh, <laughs> the death of this um, uh, in 1949? Um, the death of this beauty shop operator in Los Angeles. So um, it says the investigation. Uh, no, you go ahead. Fill us Years um, after 1947, until the summer of 1949, with the discovery of another body. Um, this one of a beauty shop operator, Louise Springer was found inside of a parked car a block away from where Elizabeth Shore's remains were dumped. Publicity surrounding the murder frightened the Los Angeles area woman into believing that the Black Dahlia killer had struck again. The LAPD launched another manhunt assigning officers across the city to investigate both murders, um, including a house-to-house search for evidence, and then police later determined the cases to be unrelated. Um... I mentioned Springer before when yeah, I saw so about Odell, but apparently the LAPD found no connection exactly between happened. the two. But um, it was a not, it was just a block away from where the um, you know, Elizabeth Short's remains were found. So, uh, 
Mm. And that's the last time. That's the last time. The, the <laughs> oh, <laughs> but if you go on FBI's website, yeah, yeah literally, if you go to FBA, FBI.gov, which I have been on, yes. Black Dahlia, <laughs> um, it has little to no information about, you know, any other attempts at an official investigation since then. Right. I mean, especially since it's so old. So any suspect that you would that you would possibly bring up or right. in the future possibly bring up would be dead. <laughs> uh, the original detectives are all dead. This is so yeah, this is a murder case it's, unless there's some um some sort of footage out there, um you're not you're not gonna solve. You're just gonna have uh theories on it. Um let's go through a couple of quick other uh uh theories that are out there. Um in nineteen ninety-four, John Gilmore wrote a book called Severed, the True Story of the Black Dahlia Murder, suggesting a possible connection between Short's murder and that of Georgetta Bangoff, a socialite who was strangled to death in her West Hollywood home in nineteen forty-four. Gilmore suggested Short's employment in the Hollywood canteen where Bedoff also worked as a hostess, but could be a potential connection between the two women. However, the claim that Short ever worked in the Holloway Canteens was disputed by others, such as retired Times copy editor Larry Hanwich. In 2017 book, Black Dahlia, Red Rose by P.U. Eatwell focuses on Leslie Dillon, a bellhop who was a former mortician's assistant. His associates, Mark Hansen and Jeff Connors, and Sergeant Phineas Brown, a lead detective who had links to Hansen and was allegedly corrupt. Eatwell posts that Short was murdered because she knew too much about the men's involvement in a scheme for robbing hotels. She further suggests that Short was killed at the Ensler Motel in Los Angeles, where the owners reported finding one of their rooms covered in blood and fecal matter on the morning of Short's, that Short's body was found. The examiner stated in 1949 that L.A. Police Chief William A. Wharton denied that the Flower Street Ancillary Hotel had anything to do with the case, though its rival newspaper, the Los Angeles Herald, claims that the murder took place where. Eatwell is working on a television documentary, and a revised edition of her book is due to be released in the autumn of 2018, which should be out right now. In 2000, Buzz Williams, a retired detective with the Long Beach Police Department, wrote an article for the Long Beach Police Department newsletter, The Rap Sheet, on Short's murder. Williams' father, William F. Williams, excuse me, Richard F. Williams, and his friend, Con, Con Kellier, were both members of the L.A. Gangster Squad investigating the case. Williams Sr. believed that Dylan was the killer. And that when Dylan returned to his home state in Oklahoma, he was able to avoid extradition to California because his ex-wife, Georgia Stevenson, was second cousins to Governor Adlai Stevenson II of Illinois, who had contacted the governor of Oklahoma on Dylan's behalf. Keller believed Hansen was the killer. 
as he had studied at a surgical school in Sweden and had thrown elaborate parties attended by prominent LAPD officials. Williams' article states that Dylan sued the LAPD for $3 million, but the suit was dropped. Hammond disputes that Dylan was cleared by the police after extensive investigation and that the district attorney's files politicians placed him in San Francisco when Short was killed. Hammond claimed that there was no LAPD cover-up, and Dylan did, in fact, receive a financial settlement from the city of Los Angeles, but had not produced concrete evidence to, predict, to, to produce this. I believe he's saying that Dylan, who was Dylan? Oh, Leslie Dylan. Okay. Um, the heiress, the uh, heiress, the socialite murder, I don't think this has any connection to uh, Elizabeth Short's murder. Um... <sighs> The Astor Hotel being covered in blood and fecal matter. It's very interesting. Yeah. So, huh. um, yeah, this is a case that I. No, it's just been, like you're saying, it's been too long, and it's never the detectives off. that were involved <laughs> in the investigation are dead. Most, if not all, of the sus the prime suspects yeah. are dead. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, that, that Hodel yeah, seems to be the uh, yeah. the <laughs> closest. I guess you'll get to a prime suspect, but yeah. Yeah, I, I believe so, too. Um, but let's, let's get to that in a second. Uh, Short was interred at the Mountain View Cemetery in Oakland. After her younger sisters had grown up and married, her mother, Phoebe, moved to Oakland to be near her daughter's grave. Uh, she finally returned to the West Coast, East Coast, excuse me, in the 1970s, when she lived to her 90s. Um, on February 2nd, 1944, 1947, just two weeks after Short's murder, Republican State Assemblyman C. Donald Fields was prompted by the case to introduce a bill calling for the formation of a sex offender registry. The state of California would become the first state to make the registration of sex offenders mandatory. And this case has gone on to inspire lots of books, films, such as the uh, Black Dahlia, which is based on the James Elroy 1987 novel with the same name. Um, made a film 2006 by Brian De Palma. Uh, I Am the Night miniseries uh, last year. Um, again, we had said the uh, game L.A. Noir. Uh, there's also a Black Dahlia Avenger band, <laughs> supposedly. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, it was covered in a little bit. Well, Elizabeth Short was uh, covered in American Horror Story in 2011. Yeah, there's a lot. And well, who we think we did, I point to Hodel. I think it's George Hodel. I mean, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that puts them right there. Uh, 
I mean, even though most of it's circumstantial, but there's all, but yeah, it points to Hodel. I believe it's Hodel. I don't think it's the same person as Cleveland Torso murder. I still think it's, it might be a possibility between the, the murders of Springer and Short. Uh, but everything, all the evidence that points out is that yeah, it points to George Hodel being see. the murderer. Yeah. Um, an interesting case. Um, like I said, yeah, the, final thoughts uh, the movie that inspired it, or the movie that was inspired by it, was pretty good. Um, you know, I'm sure we're going to see. Yeah. Well, you said no, you said it was already an episode of Unsolved Mysteries back in the 90s, right? I wouldn't be surprised if they did a remake of it or something and came out with right, a new yeah. series on Netflix. Um, I don't know if they're going to re uh, look into that case again because it's so world famous and so many people have done it. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it definitely makes me want to but, go back yeah, and watch I, I that episode from the nineties. Um, yeah, I mean. Unsolved will continue to be unsolved. It seems like it's just been too damn long. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, also, you might want to look at the BuzzFeed. They do a couple episodes on it. They do a early episode, and then they go back and do it again. Um, yeah, an Unsolved Mysteries uh, episode on it. Um, okay. Yeah. And other documentaries they've done on it. So, but yeah, that was a black dahlia. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, there's much else to say about it. Um, you know, so uh, the guy uh, died in 1999. We believe he was the prime suspect, and the case will remain a cold case. Yes, it is one of the most famous cold cases that's out there. So, yeah, but that was a black dahlia. Um, that was the case. I know you wanted to get to that. Uh, and I remember when we did the Cleveland Torso murder, you thought that uh, it was a string, that black dahlia was a string of uh, serial killers. I was like, no, it's just one killing. But I was wearing my uh, conspiracy hat back then. <laughs> um, Yes, yes. <laughs> you were on a point. There was a couple of uh, uh, possible answers to that, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that was that case. Uh, well, we can wear it. We only got a couple more to do this year, um, especially this trying time. Again, it's probably going to uh, do a retrospect of uh, this year for our last episode, but we're going to try to, before then, we're going to try to get in one more case. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be truth time. I think we need to switch it up to either UFOs or we ghosts really have. Or, I mean, how many cases crypto. We yeah, we you're right. What's true crime this year? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Hollywood, the Halloween, excuse me, Halloween episode was true crime. The episode of that was true crime. I was just like, look, we got to mix this up. So, uh, um, yeah. So we're gonna try to get in one more before the uh, year in retrospect because this was a long trying yeah. horrible terrible year but we're gonna get through it so 
Um, yeah, and uh, next year, after that, next year, hopefully, it'll be a better year, and we'll get some more cases out to you. Um, yeah, so this episode is going to be released right before Thanksgiving. Um, we ask that if you are going to spend time with your family for Thanksgiving, that they are in the immediate area, and you don't go out someplace far. I'm already looking at the news right now, and people are just going, fuck it, we're going way out to spend Thanksgiving with our loved ones. Possible recipe for a disaster. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's a, a strange Thanksgiving. But, it's going to be in next week. Um, you know, for those of you, if you, uh-huh. including myself, actually, if you choose to go against the uh, uh, the guidance from the states and not stay home, uh, just socially distance and goddamn wear a mask. Yeah. yeah, please wear a damn mask. Anywhere you go, wear a damn mask. If you're going to be with someone that you're not in contact with all the time, wear the damn mask. Please. Yo, know, the vaccine is coming. There's light at the end of this tunnel. I mean, some people say we'll be back to normal next next uh, winter. Some people say we'll be back to normal before summer. But it's still going to be a lot of work to do, and even then, when when we get the vaccine, it's going to be a lot of work. So, but in the meantime, and until you're told otherwise, wear your damn mask, please. It's not a fucking conspiracy. No one's. This is real. This is real. People are dying. No one's taking away your damn freedom. They're, they're trying to save your life. If you want to die, then hey, there's other ways you, you can go off and off yourself, but don't bring the rest of us with them. I, I want to live. There's still, there's still trips I want to go on to. I want to see see Mothman. <laughs> Shoot. Like, there's lots of things I want to do. Wear your damn mask. And if you get if you, if you get together with your family, practice common sense. If your family's way out there and, and, and they, they, they're older, Stay away from them. You know it's it's temporary. Next year, you could if we get exactly. back to normal That's next year, point, you can spend right? as, as much time as you want with them. But yeah, do save spend Thanksgiving isolated. So next Thanksgiving we can we we can spend time with each other and shit. But well, in practice. Practice soldier distancing, wear your mask, wash your hands, please. And um, yeah, so thank that's you it. for having me on. For myself, Red Nick, Ogo. No, all right, thank you for coming on. Um, have yourselves a decent turkey slaughter day. <laughs> and most importantly, uh, thank you for listening to Wake Up Weird. <laughs>